0: Hi, this is Ava Monte Alegre. I'm the author of Body on the Back Lot, number one in the Red Carpet Series. And I have the great honor of being here today with Robert Evers, who did the um, Nina Zero series. She's uh, a paparazza and one of my favorite characters. And part of the reason why I invited you here, Robert, um, is so we can have a conversation about um, our work and our, our characters. I, I feel my uh, work is very driven uh, by my character, Joan Lambert, and I hope I'm not assuming too much in saying that I feel she is a sister Uh, character to nina zero and nina zero is you know the ex-con and then joan lambert is the cop but uh they both sort of go the rogue way (laughs) and they travel some of the same roads and back streets
1: absolutely you know i was uh, when i was reading this i was uh I was taken by the similarities and the characters uh, and also in the similarities of the views of Los Angeles. I should say that, first of all, I should, you've already given me a wonderful introduction. (laughs) I don't need to introduce myself, but this is, I am Robert Evers indeed. Uh, If you do a voice print, you will know that this is indeed my voice. The forensics will confirm that I am Robert Evers. I'm the author of Shooting Elvis, Killing Paparazzi, Killing Paparazzi. Gypsy Hearts, Burning Garbo, uh, and a host of other novels. Uh, Zero to the Bone. <laughs> and Zero to the Bone. That's right, <laughs> the last one so far in the in the Nina Zero series. And uh, um, my uh, my books follow a character who begins as Mary Alice Baker a small town good girl who works at Hansel and Gretel's baby portrait photo studio in a small town north of Los Angeles, who meets a very bad boy who gives her a package to deliver to the airport that explodes and causes her to go on the run wanted as an international terrorist. She reinvents herself as punk paparazza Nina Zero. And uh, um, my own series of books follow this character through Her transformation, the original book, Shooting Elvis, is a coming of age story told through the prism of a crime novel, meaning that you have a young woman who has begun her life with a family who does not understand her, with a father who abuses her, with a mother who is very passive and something happens in her life that forces her to go on a journey to discover who she truly is. And she discovers that she's someone quite different than the person her family imagined her to be. And one of the reasons that I wrote the book is that I was looking for a character who could express my ideas and visions of this huge basin of wonderful and sometimes awful people known as Los Angeles. (laughs) And when I was reading your book, Body on the Backlot, I was completely struck by the imagination, precision, and acuity of your vision of Los Angeles as a place, so that, for example, we go to the Venice Beach Canals, where I lived for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, we go to um, the Body Shop, which anybody who's been <laughs> that stretch knows is a, a particularly famous uh, a strip club. Um, we go to Harry's, which is a, a cop bar. Mm-hmm. Um, the story actually begins in the Oakwood section of Los Angeles,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where actually Nina Zero lived. <laughs> so I, I do see many, many different parallels. And and I wanna, I wanna start by asking you, um, first of all, the, your book um, contains a wonderful quote by Michael Connolly. Yes. Um, who is um, a writer I greatly admire, particularly his, his Harry Bosch series, mm-hmm. uh, one of the finest series in all of crime fiction. Yes. Um, and he also wrote memorably about Los Angeles and he's saying good things about you. So I want you to, to just talk a little bit about the genesis of uh, detective Joan Lambert, um, You go ahead and talk, and I'm going to talk a little bit about her character, too, because there's some great things about it.
0: Well, um, I thought it was interesting what you said about Nina Zero, that she was on a path of discovering who she, you know, who she is. And um, she was sort of forced to do this uh, by things that were out of her, you know, hands. And uh, Joan had a similar experience, although she did uh, do a a rather... um, violent act and self-defense that was in her hands but you know things that were bigger than her and um it's a strange thing to say because um uh, <laughs> I do think that uh, Body on the Back has its very dark moments and its extremely dark characters, and there's some dark history that is um, addressed in the book. But for me, <laughs> as a human being, you know, not not just oh, as an author, but just as a human being, writing the story of Joan Lambert was a a, a healing for me it was like a long healing meditation and um even though there is a lot of uh humor and there are some um you know sensual or sexy moments uh it was really uh, about addressing those things that uh, are darkest in my own soul that I see out in the world and I have to um, make peace with or not make peace so much, but at least, you know, address, you know, and I do love Los Angeles. I am an Angelino and um but, you know, there are some uh, things that are, I guess, it's very popular now with the Me Too movement and a lot of things that have happened, which might not have happened if we hadn't been so disappointed with uh, politics and some other things. So, you know, that's the strange way of the world. The darkness often is what makes us, you know, search out the light. And so... um, Joan comes from a very dark place, and she's always about going towards the light or truth or justice or, damn it, I'm going to make this right. And uh, so I feel that uh, in that way, she she never meant to be so tough and hard, but, you know, uh, she becomes that because that's what's required of her.
1: Well, now, she's a character who who seeks justice, and if you look at her, um, you know, what's her... Primary character motivations. She's she's someone who seeks justice, and and I I, I find it's interesting that uh, are you, you're are you from St. Louis originally? Correct. Yes. And and uh, if I'm remembering and interpreting correctly, uh, uh, Detective Joe Lambert is also um, from the Ozarks.
0: Correct. And I do have family that live in the Ozarks. I have never lived in the Ozarks. So I've only visited. <laughs>
1: That that that's fine. It's all the, the Ozarks are all through that area, right? They're all through uh, St. Louis and Oklahoma and that whole midwestern area. Yeah, and I do have some
0: folks down in New Orleans, Louisiana, back bayou, as well.
1: What I um, particularly like about—I mean, I, I like so many things about this book, and I like so many things about this character. But what what I I really like is the idea that we're we're beginning the story in media res. This is not a, a coming of age story. This is a story Joan has been there and working
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: as a cop in Los Angeles for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And so you you bring the story and you bring the reader into this very richly richly realized world where. Um, the character has a complete backstory, you know, having grown up in the Ozarks mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes to Los Angeles. She has uh, the story actually begins as she's returning from an extended leave of absence that resulted from her previous case. And yeah. the day, the day after the story begins, she's receiving a commendation. For successfully cracking this case. And of course, the irony here is that the case also cracked up her relationship with her cop partner, Carl, and, uh, um, and also broke up their, their love relationship. So, you know, we're, we're starting the story at the beginning of a new episode in Joan's life. But at the same time, there's all this narrative momentum behind her. Um, having to do with the deep past, which is her deep past in the o- Ozarks, but also her her cop past, her detective past, um, and and that means that the novel is populated with a rich variety of of characters, um, such as you know Gus, her 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 partner, who's a wonderful creation. Um Carl, her ex-lover, her ex-partner, and street characters like uh, like uh, Gilda, the one who's the Rita Hayworth look-alike. Yes. <laughs> um, and so what I particularly like is the idea then that you know you're you've entered this richly realized world with a character, with a past, and the author's past in some ways matches um, the past of her care of her own character. Um, the Nina zero novels are, uh, the, the town that, uh, Nina zero begins in is uh, Newhall, new hall Valencia, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, where I spent my high school years. <laughs> um, so, you know, she comes from the same place that I came from. I'm writing about areas that I know places that I grew up in about characters. I know um, and and I, I think what that does sometimes is it gives your stories a greater sense of depth and authenticity.
0: Mm-hmm. I would like to say that I'm uh, as admirable and as courageous as Joan <laughs> and perhaps somewhere in my psyche <laughs> I yeah, am.
1: I'm, I'm not nearly as dangerous as Nina Zero If I if I was, I'd be in jail or prison. So. Oh, she's marvel marvelously dangerous and courageous
0: too and i and i feel that uh nina zero is just as much um a comrade fighting for justice as joan lambert is you know and uh Uh, I think it's very good that we have a character in Nina Zero that is an ex-con that has been in the prison system. I think it's very um, enlightening for us to read about a character that's been through that, who just, you know, just wants to live her life, just wants to (laughs) be alive. But the world is not so simple, you know. doesn't always allow for us to just have a simple life. Sometimes we uh, get into complicated situations. And uh, that's where the story really uh, comes alive, is how our characters handle that. Nina um, is particularly uh, wonderful, I think, because she did start out as just a baby photographer, right? With babies.
1: <laughs> yeah, Hansel, Hansel and Gretel's baby portrait photography. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then the world that she moves into is so uh, rife with danger and danger, dangerous characters and uh, exciting characters. And uh, to start off with a a wedding in Las Vegas after getting out of prison, you know, a green card wedding, really. But to find that she's actually in love with the guy or has, you know, passion for him and, and that it's... Uh, reciprocated is 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 fun and exciting it's not the uh the usual thing you would expect it's not the you know cliche it's uh so every page of a a nina zero book is a revelation is exciting is something like skin being peeled off an onion is something new and there's like a, a freshness to everything and and that's what i uh like in a crime novel, or any book or any story is to experience something new, something, you know, refreshing. And, you know, I hope and I endeavor to do that myself as an author. And um, you didn't mention, but a long time ago, I interviewed you. And I I have to say that you along with Michael Connolly and T. Jefferson Parker, and many others are, you know, on the very top of my list of the best writers in the world and have created characters that I, that I love and adore. So um, I'm just so happy to be here with you today. I wanted to ask you um, about how you feel about writing novels and then teaching people to write novels. You're at the UCLA program, isn't that true?
1: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm currently teaching the uh, uh, master class in novel writing for UCLA UCLA Extension uh, um, Writers Program. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: I, I teach um, UCLA has a series of writing workshops devoted to guiding writers through writing a novel, um, and they are imaginatively labeled Novel One, Novel Two, Novel Three, <laughs> Novel Four, and Novel Five. <laughs> And then they uh, they then finish in uh, yeah. uh, the master class of, in writing the novel. Mm-hmm. I teach the advanced courses, novel four, novel five, and the master wow. class. I also teach for um, the Prague um, summer program, which is uh, right now the l- longest running study abroad program for writers in the English language. We started twenty five years ago this year. Wow. So I teach, uh, I teach through those, those are my my two primary uh, uh, teaching venues. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And uh, um, the, I have to say that uh, also uh, eight years ago, I became a a late in life father. Oh, congratulations. Uh, (laughs) I I guess so. I'm not entirely sure. And then uh, and then five years ago, surprise, I became a late-in-life father again. So uh, my life is, uh, has changed uh, radically from my, uh, uh, my my European past. Uh, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with my biography, I um, lived in Los Angeles. I went to film school. I got my, uh, my master's degree, my MFA in film at UCLA Film School. Um, decided I was not for prime time just at about the time the um, – The Berlin Wall was falling and I decamped for uh, um, Europe with the uh, idea that I would live in Prague um, during this uh, very heady time when uh, uh, East was uh, crumbling and East was meeting West and we were all forming these new societies. And I I went there with the idea that I would uh, live there for about a year and um, write this book that I wanted to write and the book that I wanted to write was based on an experience I had taking the Oriental Express from Paris to Budapest.
2: Mm.
1: And you would think that the Orient Express, you know, we've, we've all seen the Agatha Christie, we've read Hucule Perot, we all know a gilded train of opulence Um, But no, at this time, this was 1990, 1991, it was not that kind of a train at all. Instead, it was more of an Eastern European train. It was redolent of the smell of beer and vodka. And um, I was trapped in a a second-class carriage with a a, a couple of uh, uh, Polish gentlemen who were (laughs) passing the bottle along. And I decided I I, I wanted to go to the dining car. I went into the dining car. (laughs) which was completely full. And I, I sat down um, at the table of a, a portly Frenchman who looked a little bit like Philippe Noiret. <laughs> I don't know if you remember Philippe Noiret. He's a, a, a large French gentleman with a, with a goatee. Yes. Uh, sort of the, the picture of a gourmand. Yeah. And we, we were sitting at the same table. And so we started to strike up a conversation. Uh, he, he spoke English, I spoke some French. Um, and he told me that he was uh, uh, a married man from the town of Fontainebleau, uh, a wine merchant. And so I said, oh, so you're going to sell your, your beautiful French wines to the Hungarians with this new opening of capitalistic markets. And he said, no, I go there for the women. <laughs> I said, what? I was shocked. I said, what do you mean you go there for the woman? Oh, of course, you're French, you know, marriages, French, European attitudes. You've got a you've got lover there. And, and he said, no, never the same woman twice. Hmm. And he then explained to me that every month he would take the train to Budapest and he would go into one bar or another. And he would order in a stentorian French voice, a bottle of champagne. And he would be watching the room as he ordered the bottle to see which head turned his way. And when the head turned his way, he would tell the waiter to take a glass over to her table. And then he would follow the bottle of the glass (laughs) over. And 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 I just said, wait a minute, there's no way. That it's this easy. Okay. You know, first of all, it was not exactly the picture of Adonis. Exactly. I mean that had to be some very good champagne. <laughs> very good champagne. And and he said, May and he had one of these flip wallets with all these pictures. And it flipped out to all pictures of all of his conquests in various stages of inebriation. <laughs> and then I thought, you know what? This whole fall of the Berlin Wall, end of communism, meeting of East and West, it's not exactly what I thought it was. Yeah. That maybe it's this idea of mutual cultural exploitation. And so I got an idea for a novel um, that would feature a a romantic con man roaming through um, Europe and, and landing in Prague. But I realized that I couldn't really write the novel unless I lived in Prague, unless I lived in Europe, and I got all of those sense memories. I got that, that sense of rich, atmospheric detail that you know perfectly well based on um, the body on the, the back lot that you need in order to write a novel. So yes. I packed up all my stuff in LA <laughs> and I got out of some film deals I was in and I just said, I'm, I'm going to Europe. And I went to Europe to write this novel but I was there and I needed to live there for a year before I could write the novel. So I said, well, I've got this other book I'm thinking about. I'm going to call it Shooting Elvis. Mm. And I sat down. and I wrote this L.A. novel um, from the perspective of Prague. And mm. I found that to be very helpful because yes. it, it got me out of sort of this huge wall of white noise that the American culture uh, generates.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I could lock myself away in a little pied terre in Prague, living on no money, mm-hmm. uh, and, and write this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, that's the book that turned into, into shooting Elvis. Which is absolutely delightful. And I have to say, after
0: listening to your story, <laughs> I don't know about this gentleman, but, you know, there are some men, there's just not enough champagne in the world. <laughs> That would make you want to kiss them. <laughs> but, but he must have had some charm, and, and uh, maybe it was the food as well.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I think it was the fact that – and, and I, I experienced when I went to Prague um, – and, and that you have a nation of people who have been locked in an entirely oppressive political culture –
2: Mm-hmm.
1: For 50 years, mm-hmm. and 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 as much as I I love to 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 critique capitalism, I could tell you communism is a lot worse. Mm,
0: that's and, good to know.
1: <laughs> yeah, don't yeah, yeah, go there. I mean, sure, there, there are some variations of communism which I think have probably been a little bit better, but overall, eh, you know, the kind of communism that developed in Central and Eastern Europe. From the 1940s through the 1990s was an oppressive dark and dismal place and so suddenly the walls dropped and nobody there knew anything about the West except what they saw on television which of course was all heavily filtered by the communist system or that they read from prohibited magazines that somebody smuggled across the border. Mm -hmm. So a guy like uh, Marcel could go into this place and nobody would really know if he was a con man or if he was genuine. Mm -hmm. And they would just kind of want an experience they had denied to them for their entire lives. So that's how you get to be Marcel and get all the girls to kiss you. (laughs) Well, you know, there is something to be said for meeting
0: a person and having that encounter be an adventure. And then as you get to know them, that in, that adventure unfolding. And uh, I really liked what you said about your perspective being so far away from the, the L.A. Uh, culture and I myself I live up on top of a mountain above Malibu and a very modest home but I'm nestled in the bosom of mother nature and oh, wow. so I do get to be removed from the uh, whole uh, LA milieu uh, but you know sometimes I miss it so I go down the mountain quite a lot but um, being yeah. away from something is quite helpful it really is
1: yeah, for me, I, I wrote um, all five of the Nina Zero novels in uh, in Prague. Wow! Um, and in in uh, a, a little beach town, about 40 miles outside of Barcelona, called San Paul de Mar, ah. where I, I lived for uh, during the winters when it was too cold for me to live in Prague. Um, I would decamp for the the, the south of Spain. Oh! Um, and, and write novels there. But um, when I first went to Prague you know, there was no real internet. This is like the pre, it's just, just the internet was just getting started. Um, and it was, the, the phone system uh, in Prague at that time was a, a 1930s French system, meaning that there were barely any phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really possible to get away. Um, and, and getting away gave me a wonderful perspective um, on American culture, it allowed me to see what I really loved, what I what I really didn't like, um, and and to look at Los Angeles, having been in the middle of it, but now then stepping back and taking a look at it from a broader perspective. Um, yes, and I, I love that. I mean, even the the book uh, that I that I wrote, the Gypsy Heart, set in Prague, mm-hmm. uh, it's a Los Angeles character, and it's all about it's all about Los Angeles. <laughs>
0: so, Well, now, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Zero to the Bone, which was uh, your most recent Nina Zero book. And um, all of your books had, you know, some pretty scary characters and dubious and delightful people. But I have to say that the bad guys in Zero to the Bone were particularly bad. I mean, really, really scary bad guys. And I I just wanted to... um, just sort of ask you, these characters were in the movie business of of movie family heritage. And uh, I was just wondering if you would like to talk a little bit about how um, you went to such a. Uh, well, I think Body on the Backlot goes to a pretty dark place. But I think, you know, in Zero to the Bone, you, you meet it. You meet that dark place, you know. So Nina and Joan Lambert are, you know, going through some pretty shadowy places there. And I just was wondering what you might have to say about Zero to the Bone.
1: Well, you know, I'm going to start just by saying that everything that I I wrote um, following these books is based out of personal experience. And so I'm going to kind of take it all the way back um, to shooting Elvis, Okay, and um, in in shooting Elvis, um, a lot of that story takes place in the downtown loft section of Mm -hmm. Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the characters um, in the book um, grow out of that scene. And uh, um, there's a particular club called Gorky's. Yes, I've been there many times. Yes, that's right. And there was, I think it's that the downtown section is now closed. Right. And, and the whole downtown L.A. area has now um, been... Uh, um, Transmuted. Completely transformed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in, in that story, I, I kind of really wanted to, to, to look at this uh, idea of, of uh, performance art. I was hanging, a lot of, hanging around a lot of performance artists, and this whole idea of artistic transformation. Um, and I also wanted to tell the story sort of in the form of a fairy tale. And so I came upon the idea of the MacGuffin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in the MacGuffin, the idea is that everybody wants to kill for something that winds up not necessarily having a lot of value or that nobody can really figure out what the value is. Mm-hmm. And so the Mac- and in this case is the um the art yes it's, <laughs> it's, it's fountain um and and the fountain is uh, one of the characters opens it up it's in a crate opens it up and it's a urinal it's a urinal yes and it's signed by our mutt Um, And they can't quite figure out how this thing is worth a a bazillion dollars to everybody, so much that they want to kill for, right? (laughs) Right, which is Uh, wonderful. (laughs) uh, Yeah, and it turns out, right, that that's that's a a real, real um, art object. um, Mm -hmm. It was submitted by Marcel Duchamp to the 1918 Chicago Art Fair, which was supposed to be unjuried, which meant that they weren't going to say what art was and so they uh, um, as soon as he submitted the urinal they said that's not art (laughs) Uh, and he said oh yes it is and he got uh, edward steichen to photograph it um, in a way that may sort of made it look like the shadow of the madonna um and and it's a it was a real um central turning point in uh, uh contemporary art um and and so i thought that would be a great thing to to enter into a story but the 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 villains in these stories begin from being lighter in in tone meaning they're Mm -hmm. they're played not quite as deep dark noir Um, they're they're funny kind of like elmore leonard yeah elmore leonard or coen brothers right exactly um and then they they sort of get progressively darker yeah uh, and they get progressively darker in in Killing Paparazzi,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, where um, the the green card husband um, is murdered, mm-hmm. um, and you know these things all take Nina to a a, a darker place.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in Shooting Elvis, she begins again as a very innocent person. She has a a a, a, a coming of age story. Um, And the story is written as a a frame story. Yes. And by frame story, uh, I mean that it begins with her directly addressing the reader from her prison cell, telling the reader the story of how she wound up where she is now. Yes. Um, And then, of course, the book then ends with her in that same prison cell. And Killing Paparazzi begins with her getting out of prison. Yeah. She is a already a harder, tougher, stronger, more damaged, deeply more damaged person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and her one. She really has no hopes. She has no dreams, really has no desires. She's out. She goes to the beach. She uh, um, takes a swim in the ocean. She showers in the public showers. And then she goes to meet this Englishman who needs a green card and he's a paparazzi. Uh, he introduces her to the life of the paparazzi. Um, and as soon as they get married by, I uh, think they got married by Elvis in uh, the Elvis chapel in Las Vegas. <laughs> um, so again, I'm working with a lot of the same pop sensibilities. Yes. Um, that, uh, populate, uh, um, shooting Elvis and looking at the culture through this kind of funny pop lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then he gets, uh, uh, Gabe gets killed. The, the Englishman gets killed and, and Nina Zero's character took a real deep charge, deep turn there, um, toward the dark side. And she's always mm-hmm. sort of flirting with the dark side, dark side, um, in book after book after book. She becomes herself, um, one of the top paparazzi, uh, working in Los Angeles and she'll do things that she needs to do in order to get the shot. Mm-hmm. And then in the, the, the last book that I've written in this series so far, I've, I've got a whole series in mind for a, 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 a new arc for her to take. But oh. the ending story in this arc, Nina Zero has, has finally come to realize something of her artistic ambitions. Mm. And that she wants, you know, she's always wanted, she's never seen herself just as a, as a paparazza. Mm -hmm. Okay, I always had this idea that she also wanted to be an artist.
0: Yes, she's a true photographer,
1: a true photographer. And she has these ideas that she wants about photography that she she wants to pursue. Um, And at the beginning of Zero to the Bone, she's living her dream. She's achieved her success. She's got this series of photographs featuring a particular model that are being mounted at a top um, uh, vernissage at an art studio in Los Angeles, and her model winds up dead the next day, and it takes her down this entire dark path again. Um, And at the end of Zero and the Bone, she meets some particularly bad people, and she meets up with her long-lost niece who winds up killing somebody. Her niece is underage, so she goes to juvie. And uh, Nina Zero, who is compromised by the crime, goes back to prison to serve out her original sentence. Um, So that's kind of the the broad arc. Um, And it takes her uh, on a a dark journey, but at the same time, um, she's pretty relentless in her sense of right and wrong. Yes. Um, And she will do things that are on the edge, but she will never violate her own personal moral code. Yes.
0: And that's where her and Joan are like connected at the hip. And uh, I I guess even though Joan is a cop and is supposed to be uh, enforcing the law, she has such a dark place inside her that, you know, you you don't see it when you look at her, but it's in there. And, and because of that, because of that knowingness of the darkness, that makes her a better cop. Because of yeah. that knowingness of the darkness, that does make her willing to, uh, skirt some illegal issues if she has to. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, I think most, most cops in in this genre need to skirt some legal issues that, um, what I, I, I I like, um, about Joan, first of all, I mean, I like so many things about her, but one aspect to her character is that she's kind of the golden girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, she is, she's, A woman working in a predominantly male field and that makes her in some ways a unicorn Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, and the men in her life the other cops some of them are abusive in that kind of mutual camaraderie kind of way yes you're what, what you're either a nympho a lesbo or a psycho right which are you? And she says, I'm a psycho. And, and that's true. That's great. That's exactly what we wanted to say, because <laughs> uh, that tends to the dark side. She is a little bit psycho, and, and, and that's why we, why we like her. But, you know, she begins with this commendation and and the other cops seem to accept her and seem to admire her. Um, but at the same time, she has this very dark side, which allows her to go places where um, angels fear to tread. Yes, and the places where she goes are so spot on in their descriptions. I mean, I really felt um, Los Angeles as a palpable sense of place. You know, when I teach the novel, um, I I tell writers, place is just as important as character. Okay, you have characters and richly realized characters. But they have to be someplace and that someplace needs to offer environmental conflict, some something for the protagonist to bounce off against. And the atmosphere and the sense of place in Body on the Backlot is so rich that I really felt that I was in those places. Um, that you were writing about. I felt as though I was in um, Venice, uh, in the Oakwood territory, and the way that you define Oakwood as being different from the canals, which is different from the walk streets and the beach. Absolutely. I really felt I was in the, the body shop. I'd never read a description of a, a, a strip joint that was it seems so true. <laughs> um, and I'm not going say if you, I'm not going to ask you if you ever visited one, Oh, of course I did. Are you kidding me? Would I miss out on doing that research? Never. <laughs> I did get
0: a few frowns from people when I told them I was working very hard doing my research at
1: the strip clubs. <laughs> but it was, I mean, it just it it just all those places. I mean, you know, and the, 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 the description of Brandisi's Brig and, and all mm-hmm. of the places on the west side um, of Los Angeles, the Parker Center, which is not West side, but all these touch tones of Los Angeles culture were so accurately and clearly described, um, that yes, the, the novel is a, about Joan. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: and, and we love Joan and, and Joan is a great character. Um, and, uh, uh, and Michael Connolly is right. You know, the crime novels aren't about how a cop works a, a case, but how a case works a cop. But the book is also about Los Angeles and it's about Los Angeles on a very deeply observed level.
0: Absolutely. And, and it is one of the most important characters in the book. And, you know, I'm like the indigenous people who uh, are one with the land. I think that human beings don't realize how much they are one with their environment and how they Tend to meld into it, even if they've come from a foreign place, or or they are uh, at odds with their environment. They they become part of it. They are part of the fabric, the tapestry of a city, and um, that's how I experience it. That yeah, it's not just the freeways and the traffic and the buildings and the, uh, the movie industry or the the um, uh, fashion industry or art industry, it's the people <laughs> who inhabit all those nooks and crannies. And and I do love uh, the truth of all the people are part of the story fr- from every level, every social strata, you know, and and we're all important in that fabric. Uh, making it hold together. And so, um, yeah, I have a, a pretty big, deep belief in that. And yes, not just strip clubs, <laughs> but I have, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, haunted um, many of the um, nooks and crannies and uh, shiny floors of uh, the places in my novel. And I, um, I love it all. I, I like all of it. And um, in, in some ways even though it might not look like that. Um, my book is a love story to Los Angeles and,
1: um, well, there
0: are terrible things in, in my story. There are missing children and there are, uh, terrible criminals and terrible things that I would like. Uh, I mean, I honestly, you know, uh, Full passion would like there to be a different way that people handle uh, people who go missing, children who go missing. There's just not enough communication. There's just not enough of a network, which we, uh, in our modern technology, have access to. We could utilize if if we cared, you know, and this is a terrible uh, form of neglect that, you know, American society, California, L.A., you know, we can get down smaller and smaller is uh, which I hold them responsible for, and uh, I would like to see that really change in a, in a real way, and that's a very serious thing that I do address Uh in the story. And, um, you know, before, you know, I was writing this story before the Me Too movement. And yes, I would like uh, there to be a different attitude towards all women, <laughs> not just actresses going for big movie roles, but all women, that they not be treated uh, as lesser than or as objects or
1: uh, it's willing victims. Just <laughs> expendable, you know. Yes. People exactly. are not expendable. And, That's and, right. I, I deeply resent and I get dang, deeply angry at people who just think that people are expendable and they're not expendable. Oh. Um, you know, uh, the the great um, crime novelist uh, Ross MacDonald
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, once wrote that the crime novel was like a welder's mask, mm. interposed between the reader and dangerously hot materials. I'm I'm quoting this from memory. I, I may not have the quote exactly right, but that's what the, a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. And, and and this is really one of the things, one of the many things that that attracted me to writing crime fiction. Because right now you're 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 getting to the gist of, you know, why do we write crime fiction? You know, I, I, I in in Prague I teach in a deeply literary um, program. We have National Book Award winners. We have MacArthur um, Genius Grant winners.
2: Wow! Uh,
1: I've, I've talked to the cream of of American and Czech literary society there, um, and 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 the question often comes up: Well, you know, why do you write crime fiction? And and I, I write crime fiction because it's the only way that you can really get at some things. And I I, I read the the Ross Macdonald quote. Fairly early on in my um, writing career, and, it, and it, it struck such a deep impression as being essentially correct. Mm-hmm. You know, there are these evil things that are going on in the world, and you're writing about them, and I'm writing about them. but if we, if we, if we just tried to portray right. it wrong as nonfiction, they would be too awful. Yes, awful to read. Yeah. And so what we do is we put this welder's mask and this welder's mask is crime fiction. Um, and that's one way that readers can read and understand and empathize with some of these characters, particularly characters who are damaged characters. I mean, I really want characters to empathize with Nina Zero, who was a character who goes to prison. Yes. And, you know, she commits criminal acts. But at the same time, I want to present her in a format that that readers can empathize with that they can okay. digest that they can embrace exactly they can say oh yes. she's like me or I like that or I you know mm-hmm. I would like to react that way
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I also want to say Eva, that you're writing uh, you know uh, another reason that I, I decided to write crime fiction as opposed to some other crime fiction uh, some other kind of fiction other than the <laughs> fact that I just love to read it yeah <laughs> is that, you know if you're if you're thinking about indigenous forms of literature to Southern California, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you're going to come up with two forms. You're going to come up with a screenplay and you're going to come up with a detective novel. Yes. Okay. Those are the two indigenous literary art forms in Los Angeles. So you, you are standing on the shoulders of many, many great writers who go back to uh, um, Chandler and, and beyond. And Chandler, of course, um, Wrote about uh, um, Santa Monica and wrote about corruption um, for many of the same reasons that Russ uh, uh, Russ uh, McDonald was writing about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: At at that time in that era, and not nothing much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> the real estate is a lot more. <laughs> the real estate is a lot pricey. <laughs> more. Yeah, people are still killing for it, though.
0: Yeah, they are. They are. Well. Um, I think we've gone over our 45 minutes, but I want to say that I, I, I could talk much longer with you. And um, I might be doing something that will be like in a gallery, like L.A. Noire, have that as the theme. And we might need an author or two besides myself to be signing books. So if you're interested, I'd like to invite you in on that project.
1: Oh, that would be great, as long as I don't have to be in Los Angeles, I'm I'm near D.C. now. Oh, you are. Yeah, I'm 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 calling you from a a, a small town near Washington D.C. Oh, uh, so uh, if if it if it uh, uh, coincides with one of my visits to Los Angeles, I I would uh, be more than happy to do it. Okay, great. Well, you'll just have to tell me when that will be, and we'll okay. make that happen. <laughs> Listen, I am so impressed by this book. I love this book so much again, I think it 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 fits right within the tradition of of, of Los Angeles crime fiction. Um, and it it gives me everything that I want in a in a crime novel set in so l well, well, so- a. So congratulations. <laughs> that's a mighty compliment coming from you. I'm so happy to read it. Thank
0: you. ok. Well, that was Robert Evers of the Nina Zero series. And this is Eva Monte Alegre. Body on the back lot, a red carpet noir. And we'll see you next time.